Let me pray one more time for us this morning as we go into God's Word. Father, we, we're going to open Your Word now, and, and we ask You to speak to us. And, and these words, these are powerful. They're supernatural. They're, they're endless in time. We, we know that Scripture says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of the Lord will remain forever. And so we're looking to Your Word now and asking You to speak to us. And, and change us, encourage our hearts, challenge our hearts. Uh, use your word to refine us and purify us and help us walk with Jesus and, 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 and uh, follow, serve, and obey Jesus. That's what we pray uh, this morning, please. Uh, so we submit ourselves to you, humble ourselves to you, and ask you to open your voice up to us through Jesus. Amen. I uh, want to show a picture to you. This is where I was just a couple of days ago. I got back around 12.30 this morning um, with my ministry, with, with Sun Life. We had our annual um, lead team, our ministry team retreat. There were 17 of us. Does anybody recognize this background? What's going on in the background there? Does anybody know where this location is? Go ahead, Pete. What do you think it is? This is Mount Hood. So Mount Hood, we're facing Mount Hood, and I don't know what that mountain is in the background behind us, but we're right up there at Mount Hood. We're out in Oregon. And uh, this is our, our team. There were four of us from our lead team who two years ago had to be in the Czech Republic. Now, if you're familiar with your geography and know that well, you'll know that the Czech Republic borders probably the greatest nation in the history of Earth. And that is the nation of Poland, of course, where the Zaborowskis, or in the old country, as they say it, the Zaborowskis, that's where we come from. Our name means from beyond the woods in Poland. And so since I had to be in the Czech Republic, I decided to look at the airfare to Poland. And it was actually cheaper. So I flew into Poland a couple days early. And this is my buddy. Calvin is our, our national director of Canada. He lives in Toronto. So Calvin and I met in Krakow before we needed to be in the Czech Republic. Did a little exploring. Went to um, to Birkenau and to um, the, the, the concentration camps that were there in, in Poland. So we just got to be together this last week while we were in, um, while we were in Portland together. And when I was in Poland, I wanted to try to see, um, dig up some of my heritage. And I found out there's actually, there's a Nissan dealership in Warsaw owned by the Zaborowskis, but they're not related to me. I, I wasn't able to do a lot of, of digging there. Uh, Stacy's family is from Scotland, and my daughter Mackenzie was actually in Scotland this past uh, spring, and she took a picture of Stacy's grandfather, and this is where he grew up. He was like 13 years old when he got on a boat and came to the United States, but this is the house and the street and the door that he grew up in. All those different um, heritage things. Um, ancestry things, and people get into the Ancestry.com. Have you ever thought about digging into your family tree and into your roots? Uh, see, each one of us has a family tree. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that Jesus had a family tree. And if you remember last week, we finished up the book of Ruth, and in Ruth chapter 4, verse 12, we saw some names mentioned from Jesus' family tree. We saw that a blessing was given to, to um, these folks, saying that may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore 
to Judah. And if you remember last week, I said, we don't know who these folks are. We weren't going to go into it last week. But then today, we're going to go back and look at these folks. They're part of Jesus' family tree. Uh, Let's go to, and we mentioned last week, the book of Matthew. Very first three verses of Matthew get into this family tree. And we're going to read from that today and then go back and look some more. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it's listed in your program. It's that's printed out there. It's on the screen, or you can use your Bible or your device. Uh, it starts off that a record of the genealogy, in other words, the family tree of Jesus Christ, the son of David. So what he's saying is here is that Jesus has royal blood in him. David was one of the greatest kings, the greatest king. And being in the line of David, that royal blood was required for the Messiah. That's Jesus. So Jesus Christ, son of David, who is the son of Abraham. That's where it all starts. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of, here we go now, Perez. Judah, Perez, father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Those are three names from the book of Ruth last week, Judah, Perez, and Tamar. And these are the first four people, five really, on a list of 44 people that all led up to Jesus, Jesus' family tree. They were the roots of Jesus' family tree. Now, we're going to take a little look at these guys to first understand them. Uh, We start off with Abraham. Abraham was called the patriarch of the family. He was the man chosen by God to be the father of God's people, his special chosen people. Abraham was a great man of faith. The Bible calls him a friend of God. He's the only person ever in the Bible called a friend of God. Pretty special guy. But he had his shortcomings. He lied on two different occasions about the same thing. He lied about his wife. See, at one point in time in Genesis 12, before Pharaoh, he lied about her. Then he lied about her the same thing in Genesis 20 to a man named Abimelech. Both times he told Pharaoh, he told Abimelech, that my wife is actually my sister. Why would he lie about that? Well, he lied about that because she was an attractive woman, and he was afraid that Pharaoh, if he found out that Abraham was his wife, her wife, he would kill Abraham and take her as his own wife. So Abraham lied, said he's my sister, so Pharaoh was taking her into, he was going to marry her. Same with Abimelech, until God intervened. So Abraham he lied two different times about her wife, his wife, and in his lie, he compromised her purity. She would have actually had relations with Pharaoh, with Abimelech. He did that to save his own neck. So Abraham was a great guy, but he had his shortcomings. Good man of God, but not perfect. He had his moments. And then he, the second person on that list is a guy named Isaac. Isaac, he showed favoritism to one of his twin sons. He had two sons, and he showed favoritism. And this is a bad idea if you're a parent. It's a foolish idea. It's unfair to your kids to show favoritism, to favor one over the other. But he favored a son named Esau over Jacob. And by doing that, he allowed disunity in his marriage because his wife sort of showed favoritism to the other son and in his family. So his wife was named Rebecca. And she followed his behavior. She imitated his behavior and showed favoritism to the other son. 
to Jacob. And then she and Jacob conspired against the dad, against Isaac and their brother. So Isaac, he did not manage his family well. He failed as a leader in the home. He was a poor husband. He was a poor father. And his son Jacob, he sort of followed suit. See, this Jacob, he was a manipulator and a liar. He manipulated his brother to get his brother's inheritance. And then he lied to and deceived his father to get his father's blessing. And then he didn't learn from his father's mistakes because then he showed favoritism. He grew up with his brother being the favorite, and then he became an adult, and then he chose one son as a favorite. And that son's name was was Joseph. And if you read this last week that Genesis 37 to 48 in your Disciple Pathway reading, you read about Joseph, and you saw how his father showed him that favoritism. So he didn't learn from his father's mistake. He repeated that mistake, and he showed favoritism. And then that brings us Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Judah. Who's Judah? He's listed there in Ruth chapter 4, but why don't we ever talk about him? We hear, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they never go to that fourth tier to Judah. Why don't we know much about Judah? We're going to look today in Genesis 38 and learn about this Judah. And this sort of sandwich between Genesis 37 and which is the story of Joseph and how his 11 brothers, and Judah was one of them, they actually captured Joseph because they were jealous of him, and then they sold him into slavery. And Judah was one of the people that did that. And then in verse 38, we see the story of Judah, and then verse 39 picks up back into uh, Joseph as a slave. And maybe you read that this week. So let's go to Genesis 38, verse 1. At that time, after Judah sold his brother into slavery, Judah left his brothers... And he went down to stay with a man in Adullam named Hira. And it was there that Judah met his met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua, and he married her and lay with her. Now I want to just point out on a map, um, he would have started off in Hebron, Judah did, and then this where it says Kazib. This is close by. This is where he's gonna, his wife is going to give birth to a child. And then a little bit later, you're going to hear us talk about Timnah. And just wanted to orient us on a map. So Judah left, went up near Kazib, married this Canaanite woman. And we need to know that um, it was forbidden in Genesis 28.1 to marry a Canaanite woman. So he's breaking God's law here. Verse 3. After he married this woman and lay with her, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to another son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. And it was at Kazib. Remember, we just saw Kazib on the map that she gave birth to him. Well, Judah got a wife for Ur, so the Judah grew, um, Ur grew up, uh, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. And there she is. Remember her from... Um, from uh, uh, Ruth chapter 4. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Now, if you think about it, if you've read Scripture before and the Bible before, there's a lot of different people who were wicked people in the Bible, weren't there? So what kind of level of wickedness did this kid have that God would put him to death? All these other wicked people, God didn't put them to death. But his wickedness was so heinous that God put him 
to death. Verse 8, Well, then Judah said to Onan, Lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. Now, do you remember last few weeks in, in Ruth, we talked about the kinsman redeemer, and that's what's going on here. And let me just remind you how it works. If a son, or if a man marries a, a woman, and he dies without conceiving a child, the next brother in line would marry that woman. And what would happen is the, the, the first child that they have would be considered the offspring of the deceased, of the dead man. And what would happen is when the father of both of these men died and the inheritance was passed on since this son was dead that was passed on to this next son and that was part of this kinsman redeemer verse 9 so Onan married her but Onan knew that the offspring would not be his his son the, the offspring would be considered his brother's son so and this is going to be a little PG-13 here so whenever he lay with his brother's wife he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. What a creep. This is selfish. This was self-gratifying. That's what he was like. Verse 10, well, what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So he put him to death also. Wow, this is not looking good for Judah. He's two for two right now. His two oldest sons are a serious level of wickedness. Verse 11, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Hey, you know what? I want you to live as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. So he's saying, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to have him marry you just yet. You go home, live with your parents. Why did he do that? Here it is. For he thought, you know what? He may die too, just like his brothers. You know what he's doing? He's blaming Tamar. He's ignoring his son's wickedness and thinks it's her fault. She's the common denominator her in his eyes. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. Verse 12. Well, after a long time, Shelah had grown up by this time. He was old enough to marry, but he had not been given to Tamar yet. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah. Do you remember we saw Timnah on the map? Went up to Timnah. Uh, to the men who were shearing his sheep. And his friend Hira, the Adulamite, went with him. When Tamar was told, hey, your father-in-law is on his way up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes. So she'd been waiting all this time for Shelah to be given to her in marriage. She'd been waiting this time. She took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to a name which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that, though Shelah had not now grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Why did he think she was a prostitute? Because she dressed like a prostitute. She sat where the prostitutes sat. Well, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Hey, come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, well, what pledge should I give you? How about your seal and its cord? This was a form of identification. Your seal, if you put wax on something and poked your, your, your iron, or I'm sorry, it would have been bronze at this point in time, or, 
or wooden. That was your seal. It was your identification. Give me the seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her. And think about this. This guy was desperate. He was driven by lust. It was like giving up his passport, giving up his driver's license. He's willing to give up his identification. So he gave them to her, and he slept with her. And she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. And I just want to point out, the Bible's not a fairy tale, is it? There's real-life stuff going on. There's real dark, uh, seated and uh, wickedness and sin, but it leads to the great redemption through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she's now pregnant. Well, Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent the message to her father-in-law, I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. And the rest of the story is that Tamar gave birth to twin sons. One's name was Zerah, and guess what the other one's name was? It was Perez. They were the three names mentioned Back in Ruth chapter 4, verse 12. They were all mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. So that's the family tree of Jesus. So now we've talked about Abraham, we've talked about Isaac, we've talked about Jacob. So now we've seen Judah. What do we know about Judah? Well, he was a bad guy. If he was alive today, people would call him uh, like scum. People would call him a real jerk and other colorful things. What do we know about him? Well, he raised wicked sons. Two of them were put to death. And guess where they got their wickedness from? From him. We saw what he did. He tried to sell his brother. He did sell his own brother into slavery. He slept with his own daughter-in-law. He disobeyed God in marriage, that Genesis 28:1 by marrying a Canaanite woman. He had sexual relations with a prostitute. And, da-da-da-da, he fathered his own grandchildren. That's Judah. He was the kind of guy that doesn't get invited to family reunions. He's that creepy uncle that no one likes to have him around. In fact, no one likes to even mention him or admit that you're actually related to him. But there he is. I mean, it would have been easy to just leave him out of the Bible completely. But there he is in Ruth chapter 4. There he is in Matthew chapter 1. Well, what about Tamar? She's part of the family tree of Jesus. She prostituted herself. She took revenge on Judah instead of being honorable or forgiving him. She took revenge on him. And she committed incest. And you might say, well, Judah did too, but he did it accidentally. She did it on purpose, intentionally. Wow. Can you see this cartoon? I don't know if you can read that or not. Santa Claus is saying to the, I don't know who he's talking to, the elves or the deer. Are one of you idiots going to drop that sack down here, or do I have to bust some heads? And here's little Timmy. Timmy discovers that Santa, there really is a Santa, and he's kind of a jerk. And when we look at the family tree of Jesus, they're all kind of jerks, aren't they? Now, if you, if you 
If you want something, uh, a family tree that's squeaky clean, we're not going to find it. It has flaws. It has blemishes. There's embarrassing moments in the family tree of Jesus. In fact, if you look at the family tree of Jesus, uh, if you think the roots are the people from the past, and Jesus is the trunk, and then we're the branches, the roots and the branches aren't much different. We're, we're kind of the same. When you look at the past and the, and, and the branches now, we're no better than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, and Tamar. In Matthew 19:17, it says that Jesus said, No one's good. There's nobody good except God. We all have baggage. We all have blemishes. We all have brokenness. We all have blame. Both the roots and the branches of Jesus' family tree are full of crooks and scoundrels and whores and harlots and vagabonds and ragamuffins. The family of God is full of broken people. So I want to say if you are a follower of Jesus, a believer in Christ, welcome to the family. That's what it's like. And as we think about the family tree of Jesus, we started, saw part of it in Ruth 4. We saw part of it in Matthew 1. So we think of the family tree and our place in that family tree. I want to want to look at like seven just takeaways or observations from it. The first one, and you can fill this out on your outline, is that you're not as bad as you might think that you are. If you feel like you have no hope or no future because of the junk in your past, because of your sin, you've been too bad. I've got good news for you. There is no such thing as too bad. You're not as bad as you might think that you are. When you look at the roots of Jesus' family tree, there's prostitutes, terrible parents, manipulators, liars and deceivers, incest and adulterers, wicked, selfish people, and we fit right in. You're in the right place. Welcome to the family. Because we have a great Redeemer and that trunk of that family tree, Jesus Christ. He forgives our sins. He saves us. And praise God, He cleanses us and purifies us. He reconciles us to God. He gives us His Spirit and He makes us brand new. So no matter what you've done, you're not too far from God. You're not second class. You are loved by God, saved by Jesus, indwelt by His Holy Spirit. You're not as bad as you might think you are. Well, guess what? You're also not as good as you think you are. Remember Judah? He thought he was better than Tamar. He was going to have her burned for her prostitution. But when his sin was exposed, he realized he wasn't as good as he thought he was. And the truth is, I'm not either. You're not either. You're not better than other people. We are all in need of forgiveness and salvation. None of us are righteous. Not one. We could all make lists of the sinful things. Maybe not the wickedness of Ur and Odin, but sinful things we've done. Stacy and I were talking on the phone this week when I was in Portland, and she's telling me how things are going, and I got a little sideways with her on the phone. I said some inconsiderate things to her on the phone. I love her dearly. She's a gift from God. 
She's the, the, the wife of my youth, my beautiful bride. And on the phone, I treated her wrongly. And I could go into other sins. Josh could tell you when I speak harshly to him. Sometimes I'm arrogant. Sometimes I think I'm better than other people. You're not going to believe this, but sometimes I'm critical. Can you believe that? Two of my flights this week, when I flew from Cleveland to Minneapolis and Minneapolis to Portland and then reversed that on the way back, I got bumped up to first class twice on those flights. On the flights that I didn't get bumped up, I'm like, man, I should be up there. I feel special when I'm up there. Do you know when you're up there, they bring you boxes of snacks. You can choose bananas, crackers. I could have had Oreos if I want. Just you get treated, and sometimes you get to thinking, man, I'm better than those other people sitting, sitting in the back. But guess what? Even on your very best day, even on my very best day, we still fall short of God. We might think, well, I've been on mission trips before. I put a lot of money in that box in the back. Uh, I don't smoke ever. I'm better than other people. But the truth is we're not. On my best day, it's actually not much better than my worst day. On my very best day, I still fall short and I still need the forgiveness of Jesus. I've noticed something you know, in churches over the years is that if, if you, people sometimes, if they have a bad week when it comes to sin, well, man, I really stumbled and fell and fell short. I didn't have a very good week with God. tend to stay away from church because they don't feel worthy. I just want to tell you, you know, none of us are worthy. In fact, those are the weeks where we really need to be here. Not just when we feel good, because we're not as good as we think we are. Third takeaway is it's important and biblical to judge yourself before judging others. Do you remember Judah? He overlooked his own fornication with a prostitute to condemn her. Sometimes, oftentimes, we overlook our own faults and sins and we judge and condemn other people. We look through a window at other people and what they're doing wrong instead of looking in a mirror at what we've done wrong first. But Jesus said in Matthew 7, 5, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. In other words, judge yourself first. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do you see the difference there? When I when I look at Jesus and I look at myself, I mean, I don't measure up to, to Jesus. And if there's sin, I want to remove that, repent from that, turn from that. And then when I look at other people, I'm not condemning and looking down on them. I'm looking at them through the lens of Jesus' grace and, and, and forgiveness towards me. And I'm actually not trying to condemn them. I'm actually trying to help them because I care about them. And I want to help them remove what's hindering their life. So we judge ourselves before we judge others. And our fourth takeaway is uh, don't make excuses and defend your mistakes. Humble yourself, admit them, and learn from them. Now to Judah's credit here, remember he's that creepy uncle, but to his credit, when his sin was exposed, when it was discovered, he didn't make an excuse for it. He owned up to it. He didn't defend himself. He he admitted it. He confessed, she is more righteous than I am. Listen, I mean, you guys know this. You will make mistakes. You know, we're bad, remember? We will still sin. 
If you try to hide them, they'll eventually find you out, like Judah. Numbers 32:23 says, be sure of this, your sins will find you out. But praise God, Proverbs 28:13 says, he who conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces their sin will find mercy. So if I conceal my sin, I get misery. If I confess my sin, I find mercy. Like we sang about today. Do I want misery? Do I want mercy? If I hide them, I get misery. If If I confess them, I find mercy. So don't make excuses. Don't defend yourself. Don't try to rationalize your mistakes, but humble yourself. Admit it. Learn from it. There's true freedom in that confession. Number five, the fifth thing is, uh, you can, this is good news, you can finish better than you started. See, Judah didn't start out too well. Remember, he was jealous of his brother Joseph. He wanted to kill his brother Joseph. He sold him into slavery. He married a Canaanite woman, which was forbidden. He raised two wicked sons that were put to death by God. He had relations with a prostitute. He was judgmental. This wasn't a very good start. But we saw here where he humbled himself. He turned from his sin, and he found that mercy. And if you read this last week in Genesis 43 and 44, you'll see that he risked his life for his brother Benjamin later on. So he was finishing better than he started. He was willing to be kept captive. And if you read one more chapter in in Genesis 49, he got the biggest blessing from his father. In Genesis 49, Judah started off poorly, but he finished strong. Don't be the person that starts off strong and finishes poorly. Young people, we've got a lot of great young people in our church. We encourage our young people, start off strong. Follow Jesus, serve Jesus, obey Jesus. And as you get older, get stronger. Finish stronger than you started. Now, I don't know... I know a lot of our stories, not everybody's story. Um, I don't know everybody's past, but you may have a past like Judah. Maybe not as bad, but you've got some embarrassing moments in your past, things you aren't proud of, things you wish you could have a do-over. You can change today. Remember, yesterday was day zero, today's day one. You can have a great future and a great family tree. The rest of your story isn't written yet. You can finish strong by following Jesus, serving Jesus, obeying Jesus. Next observation, second to last one, is that everybody needs mercy. We sang about this this morning. Everybody needs mercy. Question is, have you asked for it? And the second question is, do you give it to other people? Every person in the roots of Jesus' family tree needed mercy, every single one of them. All of the people in the branches of Jesus' family tree needs mercy and has received his mercy. God gives mercy. I ask you today, have you asked for it? Have you asked Jesus, make me a part of your family tree? I need your mercy. Have you responded to the gospel? Second part of that question is, do you give mercy to other people? Are you patient with other people? Do you bear with other people in love? Are you quick to forgive or quick to condemn? 
Do you self-righteously judge other people and condemn them? Jesus said in John 3.17 that he was sent to save the world, not to condemn the world. Romans 8.4 says that Jesus condemns sin, but he didn't come to condemn the world. But what happens is a lot of time many people in church feel like, well, it's not Jesus' job to condemn the world, so it must be my job, so I'll condemn the world. That's not our job. Our job is to receive mercy from God and then live in that mercy and extend it to other people. Extend His grace, proclaim His grace and mercy to other people. And as we give mercy, we'll also want to give thanks. Give thanks to God for His great mercy for us. And then also, give myself back to God. See, God has offered us this mercy and grace. That's great news. It's called the gospel, the good news. Because we, we're sinful. We're worse than we could imagine. Remember, our very best day is detestable to God and deserving of wrath. But you're not so bad that God doesn't love you. He shows mercy. He offers grace, His loving grace. He will forgive through Jesus Christ. And if you accept that offer, if you trust Christ to forgive and save you, you're in. You're one of the branches. You're part of the family tree. Your goodness doesn't get you in. Your goodness doesn't keep you in. You're in through Christ. He's the trunk. So give thanks to Him. For his goodness and mercy. And the second part of that is, as you're giving thanks, give yourself. It's like my life is an offering. We put our offerings in that box back there. It's almost like I'm crawling in that box myself. It's like, here I am, God. I'm giving myself to you. I'm thankful. I'm giving to you. I surrender to Jesus. I'm going to enjoy walking with you, living in you, following you, transformed by you. I want to play a song for us. We don't do this every week, but I wanted to play a song about just remind us that we're an offering to God. He's transformed us. We're giving ourselves back to Him as an offering. Let's listen to this song together. Your love is like radiant diamonds bursting inside us. We cannot contain Your love will Surely come find us Like blazing wildfire Singing your name God of
love how that song speaks of God's mercy to us. We're not deserving of it. We're just like the roots of the, of the family tree of Jesus, but He gives us His mercy. And our response is to give thanks, to give Him hallelujahs, and to give our lives as an offering back to Him. So what's our pathway this week? What's our disciple pathway? How about uh, memorize that Colossians 2.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Read Hebrews 1-6. through 6. If you don't have a normal reading plan, read Hebrews 1-6 through 6 this week. And this week, as we grow as disciples, thank God for His mercy to you. Repent and turn from any sinful ways and offer yourselves to the Lord daily. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for these stories. Uh, you know, we can look at ourselves and either feel superior to other people or feel completely inferior and unworthy, Father. And the truth is um, that we're not too far gone, that your grace and mercy can't reach us. Uh, but we're not, we're not by any means righteous and, and good enough to earn your favor. But praise you, God that the descendants of Tamar and Perez and Judah, the descendant, Jesus Christ, He is our Savior. He is the Messiah. He can forgive us. He is your dispenser of mercy. And we praise you and praise Him today, God. And we want to give our lives to you, an offering to you, following Jesus, for you to use in this world for your good pleasure. So we thank you and praise you today. And help us, God, help us as your people to grow as disciples. To, to, to walk in one way like Judah, Father, and that's that, that humble way where he turned and repented and was different after that, that encounter, Lord. And I pray that we would be different this, way go, this day going forward. And help us, Father. Help us to, to start a good family tree, to leave a good legacy, uh, like Ruth and Boaz did, coming from some of the dark days in the past. Uh, we pray this, Father, through Jesus. Amen. So glad everybody was here today. Next week, uh, we were in Ruth for four weeks. Uh, we saw about this great marriage that began. Next week, we're going to speak about marriage, how to have a healthy, uh, God-centered marriage. That's next Sunday morning. Uh, you're dismissed. Hope you have a great day. Uh, remember to greet each other today. And remember, Wednesday morning, it's at 10 o'clock. The viewing begins at Tower for, for Mrs. Pritchett. Thanks. You guys have a great day.